This is Ed Helms. You're listening to That's What She Said. That's What She Said, episode 60, The Duel. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling. That's what she said. (laughs) Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy. Roll around town like a hero. I got you on my mind, just like all the time. Pedal down, nowhere to go. And welcome to episode 60 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your human resources coordinator, Matt Summer. And this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the 11th episode of season 5, entitled The Duel which originally aired Thursday, January 15th, 2009. I feel the need, the need for Tweed. Michael is called to NYC to discuss big picture issues with David Wallace, but that won't stop him from spilling the beans to Andy about Dwangelo before he leaves. Back in the office, Pam gets new candy, Jim is flustered, Dwight talks duel, and Andy chooses the Prius at 10 paces. Can this episode live up to the hype? Oh, come on, man, believe in something. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? And joining me at the water cooler again this week is our dear friend, our assistant to the regional manager, the... Sasquatch of the podcasting world, if you will. Kevin Crossman. Kevin, how you doing? Well, Matt, even though I'm in California where I was walking around today in 70-degree weather, as a tribute <laughs> to the cold open of this episode, I will perform the rest of the show with my arms crossed in order to pretend that it's actually cold. <laughs> you know, speaking of that cold open, I was just going to say, that was very funny, and I enjoyed it, and it was a believable gag, uh, except for the fact that, yeah, uh, Scranton mid-January... Not going to happen, <laughs> especially not this week, man. I've been uh, home from work the last two days because of negative 30-some degree wind chill. So you can take your 70 degrees and shove it where the sun don't shine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the duel, very, very interesting episode, and I think uh, it's everything we kind of wanted to see happen, a quick resolution to the whole uh, Andy doesn't know problem exactly you know we're uh it's proof positive that they are listening to the podcast kevin they're <laughs> hearing what we have to say and they're catering to our needs as you said we we did say in the last episode that we didn't want to see this dragged out very long we didn't want to see this go on for the rest of the season and slam bang here we are first episode back it's resolved and the writers don't want to have that crap on their heads just as much as we don't want to so here we get a resolution and i don't think maybe I'm thick but I don't think that it was the resolution that we thought was going to happen I actually really like the way that this played out in the end where both of them turn on Angela and so again everyone is alone no one wins Uh, everyone's unhappy (laughs) perfect for the office absolutely and moreover let's see if this non-relationship sticks but Maybe we can get back to just episodes of The Office about The Office as opposed to 18 different love triangles happening on the show. So 
right. And, and I, was, I was surprised about that turn of events uh, very much as so as well, and I really enjoyed that twist. Uh, might be the part that I enjoyed the most in this episode. There were, you know, overall, I think this was kind of a middling episode, not too many laugh out loud moments, but uh, I did enjoy that part of it, especially in uh, some of the moments along the way. Right, I agree. There was a few uh, good laugh moments, and I actually liked the feel of this episode. I really liked the beginning uh, after we come back from the theme song from the first commercial break. Um, it, it just felt like a solid episode to me. It was solid in-the-office hijinks. Everyone was there, and we'll get into the other plot in a second, but uh, you know, the first part of the episode where Michael's in the office, just the way that that played out where you know uh, Andy comes in and Dwight's all jumpy, and then Michael wants to spill the beans, but Jim just keeps interrupting him, and Michael doesn't understand why. Uh, all that stuff just really worked for me, and I liked how that was going. Uh, nice feel to it. It was a surprise ending, as you said. The um, the resolution, I gotta say, the the whole like <laughs> reading the note and hitting him with the car thing was a little Warner Brothers for me, Kevin, a little Roadrunner-ish, perhaps. <laughs> to uh, <laughs> But still, it was uh, Dwight sold it. I I, I love the his screams and then his you know, are you okay? Nah, well my right leg's a little asleep, but <laughs> I don't know. It just I like the way that it played out. Let's just put it that way. The one thing though I do have to say that shocked me, and I know that it shocked you, and I know that it shocked a lot of Office viewers, is the the binning, the trashing of one of the show's most beloved icons, Kevin, the Dwight Bobblehead goes into the garbage can at the end of the episode, and millions of people who purchased their Dwight Bobbleheads are crying <laughs> out in shame at this point. It was like a thousand voices cried out at once. Yeah, a thousand <laughs> Dwight Bobbleheads cried out at once, and were suddenly silenced. Uh, yeah. Man. Yeah, somebody, well, I, uh, I, Kelly Joe on our forum just said something about how, oh, I just bought mine two weeks ago, and now what do I do? So... <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure it'll be it'll get fished out. You know, they've got too many of those things to sell. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's still an icon we can all love. But I think it was a great way to illustrate, without any words whatsoever, how Dwight feels. And I, like I said, that was the moment that I really, uh, really loved this episode. I could watch this episode again and again just for that one moment. Uh, it, you know, sometimes the sum is greater than the whole of its parts, and that was definitely the case in this episode. Well, let's talk about the others plot line, I'm going to very loosely call it a plot line, because really nothing happened, and I was, I'm actually, I was really disappointed with the way that the Michael plot line played out in this episode, um, you know, he gets the call to corporate, and it's just, obviously, it's not what he expects, it's this big, well, you know, you're so successful, what's your secret, and then Michael just has absolutely nothing to say, uh, rambles on for a while, and then goes home at the end, and I just felt like, God, man, that, that whole three minutes, whatever that plot line ran, the deleted scenes this week were so good that I, I would just wish they would have cut that whole thing and kept Michael in the office. Um, when he was there, I mean, he had a lot of good, funny business, like I said, being interrupted by Jim and then finally, like, you know, I can't take it anymore, right? You know, I got to tell him. And, and the whole thing with the parking lot and everything, even that was a good scene. Um, yep. You know, it could have been changed with him just going to some, you know, I got to go to see a client or something and they he just he still could have left but not for that same purpose and i thought that worked really well 
the reason why that plotline really fell flat for me is, for one thing, you know, we just did the client last week, and this is Michael quoting himself from his letter that he was going to send into the Small Businessmen magazine uh, about Chili's as the new workplace and all this stuff. And Michael is just the guy, he's, he's to me, he always comes across as a guy who's just been waiting. He's been waiting for someone to ask him how he ticks. Think about how he, all the crap that he told Ryan. You got to play to win, but you also have to win to play and all that stuff. And um, when he went to the business school and gave his big speech, and you know he's just full of stuff. He's so full of stuff. Maybe it's bullshit, or maybe he doesn't understand it. Or but to have him just sit there and say nothing was kind of disappointing to me. And I, I guess <laughs> Corral just rambling for like a minute and a half, going nowhere with that sentence. I, I, I did not did not like that that whole scene. I gotta say. Well, it was a long way to go for a funny new catchphrase word with improvisation, but I agree with you that, that they could have really cut down this plot line. In fact, it almost could have worked maybe as the, you know, after the credits piece, just at the last 30 seconds of the show, you could have almost ran that whole thing and gotten the same value. As much as I like that they were maybe lowering the plot issues with this whole uh, love triangle with Andy and Dwight and Angela, I do like the concept that Wallace wants to know what makes Michael tick, uh, get his secret, just because their branch is doing so well. I, I like that concept. Uh, the execution on this maybe wasn't so good. Now, the one thing I want to ask you, Matt, I thought you were talking about another important plot line in this episode. Now, oh. go, hang with me for a second. <laughs> okay. As you mentioned, we just finished watching The Client, and sometimes you watch an old episode with the, you know, the historical... Uh, context, right? You know what happens two seasons later and all this. Right. I will say that this episode, the most central and important character in this episode, is Jim. Because okay. by the end of this season, I predict that this episode will not be remembered for the duel or Michael's trip to the corporate, but Jim's inability to take charge and confront confrontation, for lack of a better term. Mm. And I think that Jim's issues with confrontation, uh, he's got to learn to step it up and I will predict that there will be a major thing where Jim really takes charge in a very forceful way, uh, if not by the end of the season, sometime soon. Well, and we'll look at back at this episode as the, the point where he realized he needed to kind of take, take a different direction in his life. Well, that's an interesting that point. Might be, now, now, I might, now, I might be overanalyzing this, Matt. <laughs> well, no, but look, here's, here's the thing. I, I, as I was watching this episode, I actually thought it was, again – Maybe I thought along the same lines you did. I, I saw this as Jim being very ineffectual and, and impotent as the boss because yes. he he really doesn't have control over the situation, and he tries a little bit. Uh, he has that one line about, well, I could take a sick day, but, oh, then Dwight would be in charge, and then he realizes that he can't do that. Uh, and, but some people, I, I read in the blog page comments, there's a lot of people that said that they loved him. They loved how he handled things. They loved how he was doing everything in this episode. So um, no. I don't know. He, Maybe he needs to learn. He needs to learn. He needs to learn to step up and take charge. And he can be the guy who says, "Oh, come on, guys, let's do a reading of Michael's script." But when it's t time for tough decisions to be made, he's never been good at that. And uh, you know, Pam and she's got her own sort of passive aggressive issues as well. So uh, both of them probably could learn a thing or two. <laughs> well, you know what? The, one of the things, as long as we're talking about this, uh, talking about the blog page. Um, a lot of people in the chat room and a lot of people were making comments about the fact that they thought this episode was missing something. They thought it was very unbelievable that Toby Flenderson did not make an appearance 
during this whole thing, especially since it's all about conflict and, and violence in the workplace and everything. And I initially had that same uh, same opinion, but then you go in the deleted scene and his whole thing was cut out. So he was yeah. in the episode. Uh, and, and that was a good been. deleted scene. Yeah, it should have been in the episode. Like I said, it, they should have taken some time away from that Michael plotline and, and made sure that that was in there at least. All that stuff in there was great, and we'll listen to it later. Creed's line about the guns and uh, different stuff going back and forth, I thought all that was great. And Phyllis's line about, uh, <laughs> why is this taking so long, Phyllis? And she explains <laughs> explains why it's taking so long. All the great stuff, and, and we'll like I said, we'll take a listen to that in a little while. I wish that would have been in there. So for me, like I said, the Michael plotline was rather disappointing. Uh, my only thing I, I, I'm guessing, Kevin, as far as why they did that plotline is one of the news items this week that we posted on the blog page is that um, the actor uh, Idris Elba, best known as Stringer Bell from the series The Wire, has been hired uh, for six episodes to be on The Office. As it says in the description, a no-nonsense rival or something a no nonsense it made it seem like it was going to be michael's boss but we're not exactly sure what part that he's going to be playing my thing or my guess at this point is that he's going to be this really straight laced button down guy and david wallace is going to assign him to be like michael's trainee or something because he's so successful otherwise i can't i, I don't really understand why that whole thing was in there because it didn't really go anywhere or to observe him and learn his secrets and document what he does right or right like that yeah mm. exactly yeah, I, I can imagine there, there could be some comedy there you know now michael why did you say that tell us more about what was in your head <laughs> that could be kind of funny yeah, I don't know how long that would last, if it could last for six episodes or not, but um, yeah, we originally, and, and what, however this plays out, we've, we've both been wanting and crying out for the last year for a new boss character, and maybe this is going to be that new boss character, um, again, uh, because it's only a, a six episodes and because it's a better, name, better known actor, I'm guessing not, or at least he won't last very long, so a temporary, like, uh, shadower, a temporary follower Definitely seems like it would fit better in with the scope of the uh, six episodes. Interesting yeah. stuff. I, like I said, otherwise I have no idea why that was in there. It's interesting. I guess we'll see what or if anywhere, you know, where that goes. Well, all in all, like I said, I, I, I enjoyed the the dual plot line for, for what it was worth. And I think it does open up a lot of change. Like you said, we're back to where there's only one romance in the office. Let's just talk briefly about the credits. Um, this episode was written by Jennifer Salata, who's a longtime uh, writing staff member. Uh, I don't know if she's been there since day one, but she's been from early days, uh, at least. Written eight episodes, all pretty well-known, mostly pretty well-loved episodes, including email surveillance, drug testing, grief counseling, Benihana Christmas, Beach Games, Launch Party, and uh, our favorite from last year, Goodbye, Toby. So great great track record, a lot of uh, history with the show. On the other hand, though, this was directed by a guy named Dean Holland, who, as far as I could tell on IMDb, a first-time director, uh, but he was the editor on 30-plus episodes. Yeah, he did a pretty good job, I have to say. Yeah, not, uh, not too shabby. I didn't really notice anything outstandingly brilliant, but still, you know, Great, great job. Whatever, workmanlike job did did what it needed to do. All right, let's get into the whole plot line here, and um, I'm going to focus mostly on the dual plot line because that's 
really the meat and potatoes of the episode. So let's go ahead and intro that plot line here. Now, what's going on? Andy, uh, as you remember from last time, of course, at, during the Christmas party, uh, Phyllis spilled the beans. Everyone in the office knows. And so we actually have a definitive date. Do we or do we not on this episode? We don't know when the Christmas party went, That's, do we? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I thought I did. I thought we had one there for a second. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into this. Excuse me, everyone. Can I have the floor, please? This is insanely awkward. No one has RSVP'd to our wedding yet, and the deadline was yesterday. Wait, you still don't know? No, no. No? Hmm? Nothing. You still don't what? know? Let's, what are you doing? How about we just... Just have to talk to you first. Andy, uh, No, no one has RSVP'd, and I don't understand it. And now you're shutting me out. You're not even listening, and that's really considerate. Thank you. No, what I'm saying... No, no. No, that's not I know it. Andy still doesn't know that Angela's having an affair with Dwight, and it's been 17 days. I mean, eventually, he'll figure it out when their kids have giant heads and bead-stained teeth. But right now, it's just awkward. Like I said, I love that stuff with Jim and Michael, and if I can borrow a line from the client, if uh, if we would have worked on a signal, I wouldn't have had to shout nonsense to get him to shut up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael here is, to, I love that. I, it played out fine for me that he was just totally clueless about what Jim was doing and why. I liked that little bit, you know, that line there about the beat-stained teeth and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, it's kind of funny because we, we, it sets this up that it's been 17 days, so it's been over two weeks since the big revelation. And the, you can just imagine this then, it adds to that kind of the atmosphere that they've been on edge, or Dwight's been mm-hmm. on edge for like 17 days, just wondering what's going to happen. It kind of explains maybe why the, the stock of weapons is built back up again and, and uh, mm-hmm. why he's so jumpy. Everyone's, of course, assuming immediately that he's going to mention something about the uh, affair. And uh, still, that's, that's going to be pretty bad. I mean, think about that. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's sitting there RSVPs to the well, wedding. What do, you, what do you think about that? I mean, don't you think that the people in the office are being kind of jerks with not saying anything to them? Yeah, maybe. I guess maybe they just didn't know what to do or that's their own, like like you said, their passive-aggressive way of telling him or something. Um, in the deleted scene, he corners Pam and gets her to say a tentative yeah or yes for now or whatever yeah. it was. So you think, I don't know, maybe they just didn't want to be a part of it. They just felt really uncomfortable or whatever. But, yeah, it seems like that's only going to make him curious, which leads to the whole... You know, it leads to what happens. So the beans are spilled. Well, it's kind of, I mean, that was a great talking head. Very funny. I like the whole elephant in the room where you expect him to say something about Dwight, but instead it's about the RSVP. Now, I, I got to be a little nitpicky here. Uh, we know from the, the Andy and Angela website that their wedding was supposed to be in November. So why is the RSVP date sometime in January? That doesn't make any sense. Well, I've, but, I've never you know been what? married. I have no idea how that works. Yeah, but you know what? That's fine by me because that means that we can actually resolve this now in January and not wait until next October. Exactly. So, thank you. So good stuff. And <laughs> I don't know if you noticed this, but a bunch of people commented on this that right after the office air, right after the show ended, they played a bumper clip on NBC saying, oh, go to the Andy and Angela wedding website. <laughs> Everyone in the chat was kind of like, oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, and I was wondering, I thought that would be awesome if, if – you'd go there after the show and it'd be like trashed or something. Um, well, and it sort of is if you go there and check it out. It's sort of uh, only the front page. Everything else is still intact. But yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I did like that. <laughs> All right. So, well, the while 
Andy is clueless. Obviously, everyone else in the office knows what's going on and have been riding Angela, uh, at least Kevin anyway, giving back some of what she's been giving him all these years. Kevin, you screwed this form up again. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was doing something wrong. If I had, I would have admitted it and stopped right away. That's enough. Because I wouldn't want an innocent person who doesn't know anything about the form. What? That was good. It's just at the end you weren't saying something that could also apply to the form. How about, I'm sorry I did such a whorish job filling out this form. There you go. A, good, a lot of good supporting character roles in this episode, and this is kind of like, again, going back to the client, uh, where everyone, no one had a huge part, but everyone added a little bit, a little piece to the overall canvas of the episode. I thought it was really a nice job, especially the um, Oscar and Kevin stuff. Uh, I don't have this in the clip, but <laughs> there's the one scene where they confront Dwight about why he hasn't told them yet, and they're in the break room, and he's like, you know, Oscar asks him where they've had sex. <laughs> and he goes back and forth like, I think you know where. <laughs> he just puts his hand over his mouth. I don't know. I, I, was like, <laughs> I thought that was one of my favorite parts of this episode. I thought the use of Oscar in there was great, because he's the one guy who would be kind of finicky about some of that stuff and be very concerned about it. And the fact, of course, it was on his desk where they, after the uh, the proposal and everything like that, at, by Toby. So we know exactly where they've done it in the office, and I think that was great. Yeah, and I, I agree with you that that these little bits, the one line here or there from a Meredith or a Creed or even a Phyllis or Stanley, if the episode doesn't revolve around them, that's all we need. We don't need to have an extended piece for every character to have like a little plot line in each episode. So maybe we've turned a little bit and going back to the way things used to be. Well, we can only hope. Now, of course, Dwight, as we said, he's on pins and needles and is just super paranoid. And, in fact, he <laughs> some funny lines in there. You know, he's like, he tries to get Jim to switch seats with him so he can keep his eye on Andy. He doesn't have his back to Andy. And I like, I've got a great view on Pam. I can see everything. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to tempt him. And then he resorts to using a spoon for a, a reflection uh, to try to see what's going on. As uh, one of our blog posters pointed out, if you remember from, I don't know if it was Traveling Salesman, where Dwight says something about 70% of attacks come from behind. He knows he should be prepared here. And, uh, well, I'll just let Dwight explain it. Um, this all comes down to one of the quirks of the Schrute family and their set of 40 rules. Rule 17. Don't turn your back on bears, men you have wronged, or the dominant turkey during mating season. There are 40 rules all Schrute boys must learn before the age of five. Learn your rules, you better learn your rules. If you don't, you'll be eaten in your sleep. What is it? You've got to tell Andy about us. That is a terrible idea. One of your worst. Get it over with. Then we don't have to hide anymore. You're expanding on your worst idea. Do you love me or not? I've already admitted that I do. Why do you keep making me repeat it? Because you're engaged to Andy. I love that stuff in there. I've already admitted it once. Why are you making me repeat it? Uh, a nice insight into Angela's 
demented character. Uh, what, I mean, what yeah. do you think about that Schrute stuff? Is that getting old for you, or are, are you lapping that up? Old would be a compliment. I have written in my show notes here, this is getting tiresome. This whole mythology about the Schrutes and these uh, <laughs> elaborate rules and traditions and customs, uh, a little bit of that goes a long way, and we're getting way, way too much of it. Oh, man. Well, I yeah, I don't... I didn't. It didn't bother me. I guess it's kind of interesting. It just to, it's been piled on, and you got to imagine every, you know, every week there's something new about this creepy ass family. Yeah, uh, the Nazi grandfather and uh, <laughs> the outhouse under the porch and everything else, and their crazy forty rules on how to live your life. Um, maybe we'll see some of the other forty at some point. Who knows? I'm sure that there will be a list building somewhere. All right. Well. <laughs> Um, so that's the thing, you know, he, Dwight wants her to come clean, and she just refuses to. I, don't, I still don't really understand why. It wasn't really well explained why she's sticking with Andy. Other than just going back, way back uh, earlier in the season when Phyllis was talking about how Andy's safe and that kind of stuff. But, I mean, at this point, obviously she's preferred him. Um, when they're at Shrew Farm, she admitted that she made a mistake. And all that kind of stuff. So I don't, you know, yeah, I think at this point it's just serving the plot, I guess. But she refuses, and Michael really just can't take it anymore. You know, he's he's held on for, let's give him some props. He's held on for a good couple of weeks, anyway. And he wasn't there at at the, the Christmas episode, so we don't know when exactly he found out, I guess. Maybe he just found out recently, but still. He can't mm-hmm. handle it, and he is, he's, comes to the decision that he's just got to tell Andy, what's going on? This is really not how this is supposed to happen. Angela said she was going to tell him. She's just not ready. When will she be ready? I don't know. Is she crazy in bed? Yeah. Stop. What? Okay, listen. This shouldn't happen at work. And flexible. And this shouldn't be coming from his boss. And we should also consider the fact that that man has an anger issue. Too late. Well, it's not too late because you haven't done anything. I am already walking. Andy? Yeah. Walk with me. Will do, boss man. Oh, I do not have much time. This car's all the way over there. To tell you what I have to tell you, which will be fine. I am off. Have a good meeting. Thank you. Kick Wallace's ass. Okay, I will. Dwight and Angela are having an affair, so... I can't hear you. Through the glass. Dwight and Angela are having an affair. They've been sleeping together for some time. That was the news. I wanted to let you know. What? All right. See you later. Ah. Are you serious? Yeah. I just see, look, you know, he makes that quick escape, and I gotta apologize really for cutting down that clip so much because I mean, it does the way it plays out is is much more uh, satisfying, I think, on the episode, but it's a lot of rambling. <laughs> Uh, Michael, you know, he has him walk with him, and then he gets out to the parking lot and realizes that his car is way over there. And so mm-hmm. he doesn't want to say anything while he's out in the open. He won't say anything until he's safely in the car and protected from Andy. So he just kind of rambles and rambles on, just like he does basically in Wallace's office later on. Um, he just rambles back and forth, and then he says, oh, well, no, forget it. I'm not going to tell you. And so there's another kind of little turn that we think, oh, maybe he really is not not going to tell him or whatever. And then once he's behind the wheel and got the, you know, the engine started, hey, oh, by the way, <laughs> they're sleeping together. <laughs> and so he takes off. I don't know, that stuff at the very beginning of that clip there, too, some weird... <laughs> what the hell was that? Mike is like, oh, is she freaky and bad or whatever he asked? 
<laughs> yes. Uh, what did she? What did he say at first? He says she, and flexible. But what was the first thing? Uh, now you write it down. Yeah. Oh well, never. Giving and flexible or something. So and Michael's just like, oh, okay, yeah, huh? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe trying to figure out what the big fuss is all about. I don't know, but still. Um, well, what we learn later in the episode, it's kind of weird, actually. But we'll, we'll maybe get to that. <laughs> What's fancy or not standard or whatever. But oh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I, I I did really like that scene. That you know, Jim's comments. That man has an anger problem, and I got to tell you. Whether Michael intended to do it this way or not, the move to get Andy out of the office, to move him down to the parking lot where everyone, no one was around, brilliant. Because he hears the news, Michael's sped away, he's left in the parking lot by himself. Perfect time for him to do his counting exercises or whatever he needs to do to kind of mellow out before going upstairs. He doesn't have to you know, learn the news with everyone sort of watching him intently, um, like he would if he was right in the middle of the office with everyone right around. So I thought that was a really smart move by Michael. Well, again, whether intended or not, uh, it actually probably benefited any number of people, especially Andy. Yeah, you know what? The one thing about that line is that I I'm really glad that they had Jim say that thing about the anger issue because they basically avoided ever talking about it for the last year and a half. I mean, it really hasn't come up at all, and this is a huge deal because this is really why you'd be uh, concerned about Andy because this is the guy that punched the wall and this is something that's going to throw him over the edge. And you don't want to be... The fact that Angela even like goes in the conference room with him is pretty brave, I guess. Right. Well, um, and you know what? Maybe, maybe that's why no one wants to say anything to Andy because they think that he'll go crazy and kill them or something for saying something. Like, no, that's not true. I'm going to kill you or whatever, well, you know? That's why Michael got in the car. <laughs> You know, he made sure it was all set up. So all that's really left, like I said, is uh, the next part in this process. Andy does come back up after a few minutes. And like I said, I'm uh, maybe a little surprised they didn't get uh, Hank or somebody in there (laughs) to to protect him or or to be, you know, concerned about what was going to happen. Everybody was uh, watching him, but to to his credit, he was very calm, cool and collected, uh, comes upstairs and uh, wishes to have a little heart-to-heart with his fiance. Is it true? What have you heard? That you're sleeping with Dwight. That doesn't sound like me. Is it true? Andy, I'm engaged to you. I mean, we just signed off on our wedding flowers. Would I have said yes to formal chrysanthemums if I didn't want to get married? And we went through all that stuff with our wedding cake. Just answer the question. Are you sleeping with Dwight? A little bit. Do you love him? I love you. Why should I believe that? Andy, we are at a crossroads here, and we can either give in to what people are saying that we're not good together. Who says that? Or we can prove them wrong. Let's prove them wrong. I don't know what to say about Angela in this scene because, I mean, think about her from the beginning of the show where she was the the moral high ground, uh, judging everyone, you know, orange is whorish, you're the town mattress or whatever she said to Pam one time. Mm -hmm. I mean... What has happened to her? She's right here, you know, she's lying. Well, she's just like weaseling her way out of answering the question. That doesn't sound like me. <laughs> you got to give credit for Andy for just being slow and uh, pointed with his questions, not raising his voice. He's just getting into the facts and getting her back on track. But you're right. It's she, it's something, I don't know, either she loves them both or she's lying to one or or something, and it's, it is awfully strange and, and certainly hypocritical based on her past comments. 
So I don't know. Whatever the case is, she even still at this point, uh, maybe she just doesn't want to deal with him being mad or something. But she convinces him enough that uh, Andy is willing to fight for his lady love and uh, basically calls Dwight out there in the middle of the office. Dwight, Andy, it's over. Oh, good. She broke up with you. No, it's over between you two. Uh, no way. She doesn't love you. She's marrying me. Well, I don't know about that because she certainly seems to enjoy making love making with me. Angela Bernard. Will never be her name. I'm telling you to back down and I'm telling you that I will never back down. Then I'll make you. Oh, really? How are you going to do that? Through the use of force. That is very general and does not scare me in the slightest. I will fight you. Nope. Okay, fine. Good. A duel. The winner gets Angela. Fine. Fine. This is nuts. So what weapon? My bare hands. That is stupid. I will use a sword and I will cut off your bare hands. Then I'll get something too. Angela, you have to put a stop to this right now. I will respect the results of the duel. Of course you will. I call loser. Now, I like that Meredith line right there. I didn't. I really didn't like her other line about the camcorder earlier in the episode. But I thought that was her a great... being murdered? Yeah, I thought that was a great line. Uh, <laughs> I call loser. So that's, that, that fits the character. Um, I mean, so here we are. Angela, I guess, just wants to be fought over is her motivation here. So she, you know, oh, I will respect the results of the duel. I don't know what to think about that. A little uh, little insane. Well, that is the traditional way back 200 years ago. That's how it would be settled in the old days. You know, I love her. Well, I love her too. Well, it's a duel. Okay. All right. Guess what? I'll marry whoever is not dead. <laughs> uh. So, now, I, you, you didn't include the uh, confrontation with, Andy saying to everyone, thanks for lying to my face. And, of course, Creed's awesome. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> well, that leads into then uh, Andy's plan to get his revenge on Dwight. And as I mentioned before, uh, little little Roadrunner-ish for my taste, but still, this is a great scene. And just the, the reaction from everybody, uh, it's a wonderful little piece of action. Come on! Where are you? Come on! Hey, has anything happened yet? Where are you? It's 4.10. I don't think he's going to show. Oh, come on, man. Believe in something. Where? On the desk of Andrew Bernard. Note. Pathetic. Dear Dwight, by now you have received my note. How are you? I am well. You are no doubt wondering why I have left this note. It's come to my attention that in any physical match with you, I would surely be bested. True. There's Andy. He's in his car. Why isn't Dwight turning around? The Prius is silent if he keeps it under five miles per hour. He deserves the win. Alas, after much consideration and delivery. Oh my god! What's happening? Andy's running over Dwight with his car. Whoa! Hey! Hey! Yeah! Oh! Come on! Ow! Ah! Ah! You know, it sounds kind of horrific when you just listen to the audio. <laughs> Dwight does sound like he's getting crushed, and I'm not sure what I think about the fact that the office people are, they don't know that Dwight's only going to get his leg asleep, so they could be witnessing some vehicular manslaughter here, and they seem very blasé about the whole thing. Well, it's pretty boring in the office, they're looking for any kind of excitement they can get. Now, I didn't think that that was too cartoonish, in fact, even Dwight's talking head earlier, his nursery rhyme or whatever it was, that seemed way more cartoonish than this. And I really like how they integrated the people upstairs 
to narrate what was happening, and kind of just like last week with the client where you have to explain something to the audience uh, with the Oscar saying, well, the Prius only goes five miles an hour. I think it was a great way to clue everybody in, make sure they understood why Dwight couldn't hear anything. And I thought that was a great move by my man, Andy. <laughs> now, uh, Matt, you going to play that clip from last week where we asked who was going to win the duel, and somebody, I don't know who, predicted that Andy would win. So do you have that clip? No, I, I don't have that ready. I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know I very comfortably predicted a, an Andy victory. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you did. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, go check the tape, my friends. Well, uh, you know, this is the thing. I, I guess it's it, he admits it in the note. And the weird thing about the note is it didn't really look that long when you see it hanging there. It didn't look like it had that many sentences. And maybe I he's a small font or something. But it, whatever the case is, you know, it's kind of funny the way that he says it. He realizes, you know, you'll beat me at... In a physical contest, and and I like how Dwight's playing to the camera, he's little side things like pathetic, and uh, he reads it out loud mm-hmm. for the cameraman. Just he's enjoying his his moment there as the dominant male in the parking lot, with uh, I don't know what he's whipping around a fan belt or a bicycle chain or something. Yeah, but uh, it's it's a far cry from his seventy three centimeter samurai or whatever the hell else he was gonna. <laughs> had, but I suppose Jim took most of his good stuff that he had there, so I uh, had to improvise. You know, the one thing also ab- about that though is is that a <laughs> is that a product placement for the Prius, Kevin? Ooh, a product placement for the Prius. No, that murder just... your enemies silently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Prius. <laughs> you know, if it had been a non-Prius, it's been some other hybrid, then it probably would have been product placement. Okay, well, um, well, I'll just. I didn't really think it was, but it was a pretty good use of uh, a brand name product anyway. So Andy gets mm-hmm. his, uh, gets Dwight right where he wants him, and it's it's pretty funny. Like you said, you can hear the people in the office, you know, like going, oh, oh. And I, I got to say, I love that Kevin's line in there, man, believe in something. <laughs> I don't know. That's got to be a, a classic. I think I'm going to put that on my Kevin soundboard that I'm going to construct one of these days. But... Uh, <laughs> In any case, so Jim goes running out uh, ineffectually, still trying to be the boss, trying to help Dwight from being crushed. And, well, things aren't quite as bad as he thinks, but uh, Andy and Dwight really go at it now that they have each other here where they want them. You give up? Never! Get out and face me like a man! I am a man! I'm a bigger man than you'll ever be! I would never sleep with another man's fiance! You're not a man! You don't know how to take care of her! All you do is dress fancy and sing. Oh, la, 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 la. What does that mean? You can't even protect her. Protect her from what? Bears, you idiot? When's the last time you saw a damn bear in Scranton? Last year, idiot. Twice. Are your legs broken? No. My right one's falling asleep a little bit. Andy, you all right? Go away, Tuna. I'm winning this. Yeah, back off. This isn't your fight. You stupid idiot. You're like a big, you're like a Sasquatch. You live in the woods. Sasquatches are the strongest what? animal on the planet. What? So fine, call me a Sasquatch. I don't get it. How could she be sleeping with you this whole time, only sleep with me twice? What? What? She's sleeping with you? Who's being today? She said she was only sleeping with me. So there we have our little twist again, the the zing, where Dwight now is the wrong man, and he felt, I guess. He felt justified in doing what he's doing because he is the stronger, dominant male, and he could protect Angela from all those 
bear attacks that, uh, as lovely as it might be, the acapella singing just isn't going to bring in the beats come harvest time. He feels he's the better man and, and, and all that stuff, and then when he finds out there that, oh, gee, uh, she cheated on him <laughs> with her fiancé, then the game's over. Yeah, that's kind of weird, isn't it, right? He he knows that she's been doing something with Andy this whole time, but I guess there's that line that she apparently crossed in the last couple of weeks with Andy, uh, <laughs> finally got some, and... Yeah. Maybe that's why he got all smart powers for this fight or something. <laughs> something must have happened, you remember, from that drunk dial call when they were up in Canada. He finally got some action. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, but she, you know, that's, again, the thing with the, the character. She's obviously lying to Dwight as well, so she's lying to both of them, uh, saying that she's not sleeping with the other one. Uh, man, I don't know what's happened here with whorish Miss Angela Martin, but... Uh, I don't know. It's interesting to see, I guess, how this is going to play out uh, once we get to the ending here. Now, this is mostly visual stuff, but once Andy and Dwight realize that they're both wronged by this wicked woman, uh, they both come back up to the office, and at first it looks like Andy has submitted. Yes, hi. My last name is Bernard, and I would like to cancel the wedding cake that I had ordered. B-E-R-N-A-R-D. Yeah, one shaped like a sailboat. Yep, that's the one. Thank you. And there's the scream heard round the world as the Dwight bobblehead <laughs> is thunked into the trash can. Now that was, as we mentioned earlier in the beginning of the show, quite a shocking little scene. It's been part of the show's mythology uh, from the was it from season two? Uh, so it was it was that Valentine's Day? Yeah, yeah that's Valentine's Day, right? Okay, so season two Valentine's Day, and it's been part of the lore. I mean, NBC, the store has sold millions of those bobbleheads, and uh, you know they're taking a big. Uh, Big risk there, tossing it in the garbage. So I'm not sure uh, what's going to happen with that. I mean, obviously, it was used in earlier, and we saw that him moving the thing around was some kind of a symbol for Angela mm-hmm. to meet him somewhere and talk. So when Andy comes back, you know, it sort of looks like, oh, Andy gives up, and then Dwight grabs it and looks like he's going to move it across his desk. And then, oh, there it goes, into the trash. Um, what do you think this is going to mean now with uh, with the characters? Are we going to have this keep going on, or is it going to peter off for a while? I think it would be great if it petered out, just sort of lay low on this whole triangles thing, go back to the office stories. There's plenty of humor for Angela to deal with Kevin and Oscar. As much as I'm a loathe to admit it, I sort of miss the accountants. You know, back when they were doing stuff that's real work in an office, so, yeah, a little bit of this breaking up of the couples is a good thing. Uh, of course, NBC, you know, like you said, they get rid of the bobblehead as an icon of the show, but that doesn't mean people won't continue to buy it because, you know, now it's even harder to get. Yeah. You, you, you wait, it could be a great way to break up with somebody. Oh, here you go. Crash. Yeah, oh, you bought me the Dwight bobblehead for Christmas. Well, here, i got to throw it away. Exactly. All good Office fans, if you're a true Office fan, you must throw away your bobblehead. I'm putting that out there right now. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is it was in that scene where Angela was just, she was gushing over the fact that these guys were fighting over her, and Kelly got that little zinger in there about you don't have any options when you get that age. But she was really into the whole, they're fighting over me, they're fighting over me. She was just beside herself. And now what is she going to do now that neither of them want to be with her? I mean, what a crushing blow. 
I love that moment. It completely came out of surprise. Just cheering for the twist that we had there. Great moment. What you said before, I just want to go back to that about kind of breaking up all these couples. If you think about it now, there really are no couples on the show anymore, except for Jim and Pam. And in this episode, there really wasn't even any play between the two of them. So we have Michael, Jan, Holly, that thing's over with. Ryan, Kelly, that thing's over with. Now the whole Dwight, Andy, Angela thing over with. So that might be a refreshing change of pace, perhaps. But uh, I'm guessing they can't leave this sit for too long. Well, I think that really the romance that most people care about is the Jim and Pam for sure, and maybe... Angela and Dwight, but um, and I think that there's maybe a long-term future there, kind of like a Ross and Rachel that keep you know getting together and breaking up, and then at the end of the show maybe they can't get married or something. But uh, obviously a focus on uh, less about all these couples. They even you remember you had Daryl thrown in the mix there, oh, and now yeah. he's free. So yeah, I think that this is a good move by the show. All right, well uh, let's go ahead then and uh, move on to the. B plot or the C or D plot, actually, <laughs> as it might be with uh, with Michael going to New York. And you know, like I said before, I don't want to keep being a dead horse, but I I really wish that Michael would have just stayed in the office. All the stuff that he did when he was in the office was very funny. It really added in the whole plot. It added to the rich texture of the uh, you know the Andy and Angela and the whole duel and the telling it, letting it out of the bag and everything else. But what are we gonna do? Michael here is called to New York and so has to leave to go speak to David Wallace, and he's not too thrilled about that prospect. Today's a big day. My presence has been requested by Chief Financial Officer David Wallace. He says that he wants to talk about big picture stuff. And I'll be honest, I have little or no idea what that means. So, probably bad. I, I like that line. I, I like Michael's tone in that line. I mean, it was a good line. I like how he uh, doesn't know what that means. Because who really does know what that means? It's not even Michael being stupid, but it's just, you know, your boss says, hey, we're going to talk big picture stuff. You know, what does yes, that mean? I agree. <laughs> so he's right in his bafflement there. Um, as because he's Michael, of course, also uh, maybe thinking he's going to get himself into trouble. Uh, I don't know why necessarily he would think that, though, at this point, but uh, I suppose any time you get called into the principal's office, right, yeah, it's never usually for good news. Well, and there was a whole tension between him and Wallace regarding Holly's departure, so he may have thought something bad's going to happen. So Yeah, you know, it's, it's weird because it, maybe it's because of the break or whatever, but it, it seems like it was so long ago that uh, it's not even really, it wasn't even in the forefront of my mind. It almost feels like... That was from a different age, <laughs> you know, bygone it was, days. It was all the way last year. That's true, it was. <laughs> good one. All right, um, that does leave a good um, a good excuse for Michael to leave and then to do that whole scene in the parking lot with Andy. So on the one hand, that was really, you know, that worked in that way. Uh, when he gets down to New York City, though, I'm not really sure why they couldn't do this over the phone, but whatever. They get down to New York City, and Michael is a little surprised at what he finds out. So listen, Michael, your branch has been doing great lately. Outperforming last year, in fact. And I don't know exactly how to put this, but what are you doing right? Right what? Look, you're not our most traditional guy, but clearly something you are doing is right. And 
I just, I need to get a sense of what that is. David, here it is. My philosophy is basically this, and this is something that I live by, and I always have, and I always will. Don't ever, for any reason, do anything to anyone ever, no matter what, no matter where or who or who you are with or, or where you are going or, or where you've been, ever, for any reason whatsoever. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way, like an improv conversation. M- improvisation. Uh, so there's another Michael, you know, word that fits into the lexicon there, an improvisation. Uh, aren't all conversations improvised? I guess maybe that's the joke. Yes, I guess you're <laughs> correct about that. But that being said, I mean, a lot of times you know when you start to speak what you're going to say. And in this case, Michael didn't know True. what he was going to say when he started to speak. So, you know, I think that that was a funny bit. It would have been a lot funnier if we hadn't known whether, you know, why he was being brought in, because then the whole improvisation, not really committing to anything one way or the other, would have been a lot funnier. And then, of course, we could have had a good punchline. Oh, wait, you're doing great. <laughs> Your branch is out selling Utica and all this different stuff. That, then it would have been like this big... Woo! I can't believe it type of moment. They kind of put those in the wrong order, I think. Now, of course, they're out performing last year. I wonder why. Is it something Michael's doing or the fact that Pam was away for three months and Jim had nothing to do but sell? (laughs) No, I think that's a good point, and probably it's because of that. It's because of uh, Andy being motivated maybe to to get his wedding put together, and uh, who knows, maybe Phyllis got gussied up and, and uh, is out there hustling up some more customers. I don't know. You know it's, it's interesting, and that's the thing that's kind of weird is because you sit and look at this branch, and you got to ask yourself. I mean, I know that they've set up in continuity that Dwight's the best salesman in the company. Um, I still don't buy that after two years, I guess. I still find it a hard, a hard to understand that such an unpleasant person uh, would actually have the skills, the people skills necessary to fit that job, but whatever. They've already established that. Uh, so... You know, he's there, but, yeah, I mean, we don't see anything. To us, this looks like the worst office ever. So I'm not sure where this comes <laughs> from. It must just be, you know, the the ineptitude of Karen Filippelli and uh, these other guys that just can't motivate. You know, it's, of course, it's the bad economy. And that's the one thing at first when he mentions this, I was kind of like, what do you mean it's better? You know, everyone's doing terribly. It's a bad economy. And uh, so he did kind of save himself by bringing that up a little bit later uh, in a line that I don't have on the clip, though, where he talks about how, you know, it's it's crunch time and managers can't poo-poo any ideas and that kind of stuff. So it, it did kind of cover that. Now, uh, before we move on to the next clip, though, I just want to briefly go back to what you said before, because I actually think that was uh, a brilliant idea, Kevin, and I very rarely say this to the ideas you put out, but a brilliant idea um, – <laughs> That would have been a much better constructed scene if he gets there and he just says something like, Michael, tell me, you know, what, what you you're doing, doing right at your branch. And he just, you know, fumbles and stumbles and bumbles and, and all that stuff. Because my biggest thing, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, uh, Michael strikes me as the kind of guy that would just love to bullshit, just would have so much nonsense, and he's so full of himself that he seems like he could just ramble on for hours talking about what's so great about him. You know, he's got the the big plans and the business, small businessman magazine, and and everything mm-hmm. else. And he's that would have been a great a great scene if it would have started out him being afraid, 
did the improvisation thing, and then Wallace revealed, oh, no, you're doing better. And so then he relaxed and then kind of, you know, spieled into the stories. And they, you do kind of get a feel of that, I think, when he starts going off uh, in this next clip a little bit. But I think they could have done a much better job of Michael being kind of this big blowhard, you know, telling him all his philosophies and all the stuff he did at business school and everything that he did, you know, all these things that we've heard him say over the years, uh, especially that whole, you know, treat the office like a family thing and all that kind of stuff, that uh, it would have been interesting, kind of a, a moment where he finally has his chance to shine, you know, and he lets it all pour out. Uh, the way it played out, I just think it was really unsatisfying. And um, here's the last bit. I mean, it's kind of a funny reaction, I guess, from, from David Wallace when he realizes that really Michael has nothing that he can say. So I was in the office, and I look over to our accounting division, and there is Kevin Malone. Kevin is wearing a jacket that I've never seen before. And I call over to Kevin. Kevin, is that a tweed jacket? And he looks at me and he says, Michael, yes, it is a tweed jacket. And I look back at him and I say, I feel the need, the need for tweed. It's hard to try and evaluate yourself, Michael, but I appreciate you trying. And thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you. Yes. I have to say, I am so impressed with the potential you see in me. Yeah. Wow, what a day. <laughs> I thought I was going to get chewed out, but hold on. Here's an attaboy for you. What? Roller coaster ride. Roller coaster. Just goes to show you, Lee Scranton, exciting things can happen. Ah. Yep, New York's like Scranton on acid. That thing you got to, you know, the the one thing I did like in it that's more mostly visual, I couldn't really capture in the clip is, you know, Wallace obviously realizes that he has nothing to say and can't really explain anything and has no idea why they're doing well and gets up, you know, you can hear him and they're like, eh, all right, thanks for coming in. And Michael gets up and does that, you know, thanks for seeing what, what a great guy I am. And then he just sits back down and starts to eat his pasta again and Wallace is kind of like oh okay why don't you just finish up <laughs> exactly. um, you know he's such a I guess he's always been just such a good guy uh, on the show it's kind of interesting I wonder will we, are we ever going to see him be Mr. Meanie hard ass boss guy I don't think so that's not in his nature unless he turns to drugs like Ryan <laughs> but, well, a little but, behind the back maybe with the Holly thing but still yeah I really did like that uh, closing bit there in the fake New York scene in front of the green screen, Steve Carell, very not realistic. But I like that scene. That would have been great as a you know, show close after the commercials, you know, the whole attaboy thing. I thought that was really kind of a nice little capper for that uh, storyline. You know, i got to say, I know you mentioned it and a couple other people in the chat group mentioned it, but maybe it's my SDTV or whatever, but I didn't really notice that it was a big, obviously fake, green screen thing. So, hey, whatever. It, it, they pulled the wool over my eyes. All right, well, the only thing that, like I mentioned, the, the only negative really about that plot line, I understand that maybe it's there to set up this new cast member coming on the show, and maybe they want to set that up. And like we said, that would be a great little way to get someone in there, not as Michael's boss necessarily, but as his shadower, as someone who's following him to kind of learn his secrets or something, and if if this guy's really an uptight sort of guy, you know, and Michael's giving him all this nonsense, wacky kind of advice, eh, it might be humorous, I guess we'll see, 
what happens with that. The only sad thing is, of course, is that there was so much great stuff in the deleted scenes uh, that I just wish that plot line would have been removed. How about you, Phyllis? We can count on you at the wedding, right? Mm, it's hard for me to say at this time. Stanley, how's it look, buddy? You ask me every day. Well, I'll stop asking when you answer. I answer every day. Leave me alone is not an answer. It doesn't help me with my guest count. Jim Albert. Hello, Dwight Schrute. How am I what help you, you? Your phone didn't it's even ring. It's going to take me a very long time to answer that question. Let me try that. <laughs> so, here's... <laughs> yes, I'm here. Sure, we have that. Yeah, it's really hard to be around Andy. I can't look him in the eyes anymore. So today, I'm just going to focus on his nose. Can we count on your gracious presence at our nuptials? Um, why don't we say yes for now? Oh, yes for now. Thank you. Is that so hard, people? Tina, still need to get your tuxedo. Not going to remind you again. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Hey. Hey. What's the haps? What do you think the haps is? Mmm. It's freezing cold. <laughs> That's not it. That's not the haps. You gotta feel the haps. You have to open your eyes and what do you think the haps is, Andy? Uh I was just making conversation. Haps can be terrible. Haps can be so bad sometimes, you just have to look around and open your eyes and feel what the haps would be. Or the haps can be good. <laughs> but it's not. Each okay. Haps can be cheerful. <laughs> look at me. Get it. Just get it. God. Mm, getting it. All right. <laughs> get the haps. What's she saying to him? You know that no matter what Andy does, you have a choice of how you want to react. Why is it taking so long? Do you want to take this opportunity to go for a walk or maybe take some deep breaths? Phyllis, why is it taking so long? Mm, he found out his little angel's been screwing the beat farming weirdo. He's trying to make it make sense in his brain, and then he's going to come out here and kill you. Thank you, Phyllis. You're welcome. Okay, I'll use a 73-centimeter samurai. Mm, I don't want a samurai. Don't? Okay, fine. I'll use a two-handed broadsword, like a Viking. I don't... What is that? Do you have a short sword? What do you have, exactly? Um, a 12-gauge Satori Superlight. Fine, the closest thing I have to that is a Nitro Express. Wait, are those guns? Yes, they are. Uh, Andy's is for hunting pheasants, and Dwight is for killing elephants. Okay, okay, we're not doing that. Now, hang on, Pam. Andy, do you fully understand that the prize is Angela? So help me God, I do. And Dwight, do you fully understand that the prize is Angela? I do. I say give them both guns. Stanley. Darwin, baby. Darwin. I don't care who Angela ends up with. I just want to see one of them beat the crap out of the other one. My favorite kind of movie is when two guys are fighting over the love of a woman. I also like those movies where everyone's pretending to be really classy because it's Victorian times and they're wearing corsets, but really they're just horny. Karen Knightley is so skinny. Yay, Toby's here! Guys, do I have to go over our policy on workplace violence? No. Yeah. We're, no, we're fine. You do. All right, Dunder Mifflin has a zero-tolerance policy on any behavior mm -hmm. that would endanger our employees. Got, Got it. Thank That's you. great. Thank you, Toby. Dwight, trust you removed all your weapons from Of course I did. I swear on my great aunt's grave. No grave. Fell into a combine. 
was processed with the rest of the crops. So there's Dwight's freaky, another little tidbit of freaky shrewd history that I'm sure you appreciated there. Um, so much good stuff in there. I mean, let's just start from the beginning. All the, you know, Andy running around trying to get people to commit. And then as soon as he walks in the room, Jim and Dwight both pick up their phones. And start and Dwight's like, oh, that will take me very long to answer that question. <laughs> you know, this, this obvious uh, avoidance and Pam's little dance with trying to look him in the nose. And then he keeps lowering his eye line and she keeps <laughs> looking at his nose back and forth. And so, the, you know, the yes for now. That, that thing with Michael, that's one of those what I was talking about, man. I There's no need for him to go outside of the office. That was a great enough scene to stand alone, really, in this episode. I, I loved his contribution while he was in the office. That what's the haps thing. Uh, maybe it's a little long. Maybe it's kind of hard to understand, but I just thought it was awesome. Him sitting there, he just so desperately wants Andy to somehow intuit what he has to say. He wants him to, like, read his mind. You know, what's the haps? The haps are bad. The haps are terrible. Well, the, the more I listen to that scene, I agree with you 100%. That is a, such a great scene. It really is a shame that it's on the cutting room floor. And uh, like we said, the, you know, the Michael plot line, you could probably cut even what they included. Even if you had to send him off to New York, you probably could have cut down a lot of that uh, in some way anyway. And it's too bad that the stuff uh, got cut out because, you know, like you said, it is really good stuff. And even the stuff where, you know, Phyllis talks about the beet farming weirdo, <laughs> Uh, do you understand the prizes, Angela? I mean, all that stuff is great. And it's even I didn't mind that, that Stanley picture Stanley saying Darwin, baby, Darwin. <laughs> That's got to be a T-shirt. I don't know. I got to get that in the contest. Well, and, I, and even I don't even mind the uh, you know Dwight sort of lying about the swearing on his grandmother's grave. I mean, is that an out to the promise to Toby? And it's too bad that, you know, as much as I don't really love Toby as a character, at least he's trying to do the right thing in context of his role, uh, something that Jim probably should have done more of in this episode. Right. Uh, Toby stuff wasn't that funny, though. That's the problem. Yeah, I guess it wasn't really funny, but a lot of people were commenting on the fact that they thought it was ridiculous that Toby wasn't involved in the episode. Um, I think that little scene of him would have been something that really added to the richness of the episode rather than the humor. I think it would, you know, it, it makes a lot more sense that he would be involved in some way rather than just be mysteriously absent during this huge, you know, possible fight and, uh, and death in the parking lot. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just stuff I Oh, and this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. All right, well, uh, if you haven't been looking at our blog page or following our Twitter feed, you might be surprised to know that the first part of this episode was actually recorded on Sunday, and uh, we lost about an hour worth of audio, so we had to come back in and re-record uh, this last chunk here with the news and everything else. Uh, originally recorded this on Sunday, uh, fresh from the big uh, Obama pre-inauguration party that was going on here. And uh, Steve Carell was one of the celebrity readers. But uh, let's take a listen to that clip. Now, I know you weren't very pleased with Steve's performance, but uh, let's uh, take a listen and see what you guys think. Ladies and gentlemen, Jamie Foxx and Steve Carell. 
Throughout our history, the question of change versus the status quo has been part of our national conversation. These words of Thomas Jefferson are inscribed on his memorial. I am not an advocate for frequent changes, but laws and institutions must go hand in hand with the progress of the human mind as new truths are discovered and manners and opinions change. Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall said, this to be the graduating class of the University of Virginia. Each of you as an individual must pick your own goals. Listen to others, but do not become a blind follower. Do not wait for others to move out. Move out yourself. Where you see wrong or inequality or injustice, speak out. Because this is your country. This is your democracy. Make it, protect it, pass it on. In Cape Town, South Africa in 1966, this is what Robert Kennedy said. Moral courage is a rarer commodity than bravery in battle or great intelligence. Yet it is the one essential vital quality of those who seek to change a world that yields most painfully to change. And in Grant Park, Chicago, this was the most incredible moment of my life and all of your lives when our president-elect said to the American people, and he said it very smooth and calmly, he said, if there's anyone who still doubts that America is not a place where all things are possible, tonight is your answer. It's the answer that led those who've been told for so long by so many to be cynical and fearful and doubtful of what we can achieve to put our hands on the arc of history and bend it once more towards the hope of a better day. It's been a long time coming, but tonight, because of what we did at this defining moment, change has come to America. All right, so that was their big uh, moment in the sun together. Now, what was wrong with that, Kevin? I wish change would have come to the speakers there because <laughs> Jamie, Jamie Foxx, I mean, you cut out some of the stuff where he was kind of joking around with the crowd and not really treating it kind of like a solemn occasion. And, yes, it's true that Steve was maybe a little tight in that environment, but, you know, I saw some of the other speakers like Jack Black, and they were kind of tight, but, it's, it, you know, it was a solemn occasion. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was supposed to be fun. They had some concerts, but it was a serious moment where, you know, we're talking about our democracy and, I don't know, I just didn't appreciate the way Jamie Foxx's approach to that. And then the other thing, too, is that why did they pair Steve Carell with these, you know, kind of serious, dorky lines with, you know, <laughs> with Jamie Foxx who gets to do the Obama impression and have, like, 18 times more screen time in his little segment than, than Steve does. It's kind of a – Steve kind of got the shaft on that. Yeah, pairing. it's a little weird, I guess, how they arranged it. There was some odd pairings, speaking of which, Jack Black and uh, – uh, Rosario Dawson, for some reason, were, were together, and then uh, Cal Penn and uh, yeah, George Lopez. So George all Lopez, the, yeah. all the colors of the rainbow, Kevin, <laughs> up there. Uh, eh, I think Steve was just bland and boring. I think he could have done a better job uh, getting a little more excitement, perhaps, into the crowd. But hey, he was part of it, and so we're playing it. Well, we well we know Steve Carell is a nice guy, and here's an example of it. Uh, Steve Carell to become a real-life boss, and this is from the Boston Globe. 
For Hollywood funny man Steve Carell, who spent his summers in Marshfield, Massachusetts, the Marshfield Hills General Store was an opportunity too good to pass up. This is much more of an emotional investment than a business one, Carell said of his recent purchase of the store. I saw an opportunity to help preserve a little piece of history. I also felt that places like the Marshfield Hills General Store represent a gathering place and give uh, people a well-sensed community. These spots are growing more and more scarce. I hope to keep this particular one alive and well. I will be manning the cash register and stocking the shelves as time permits, wrote Carell, a Massachusetts native. For the time being, however, I am looking to give the building a little bit of TLC. And, of course, uh, Carell's got his in-laws or something, basically, is the, the regular full-time Yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, store. we've talked about that before, that he lives there uh, in his off-season when he's not working. Uh, the person who's actually running the store is Nancy Wall's sister. So his sister-in-law is running it. Um, and I don't know what this is. Some kind of, When they say general store, I mean, I'm picturing some kind of, like, Cracker Barrel little, uh, you know, thing when people sitting around uh, in rocking chairs or whatever, smoking the corncob pipes. Uh, you know, hey, if you're in the area and it's during summer and Steve Carell's not working, then head on down to the store and see if he'll, uh, you know, sell you some beef jerky and a package of fireworks or something. Holly to maybe, hopefully, return. Michael Oziello over at Entertainment Weekly, EW.com, is reporting on what he calls an exclusive Greg Daniels admitted that they want Amy Ryan to return to the show. She will come back, says Daniels. We haven't written it yet, but we're discussing her coming back for the season finale. We're hoping she'll be available. Daniels went on to say that he's very open to working on a more permanent office arrangement with Ryan because Michael and Holly have such a deep connection. Uh, says Daniels, I don't think she can blow in and out of every so often. It would be too hard for him as a human being. So we're hoping to find some very significant things for them. And if we can get her to sign on for a really long time, we'll do it. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot of people this week were hyping this and, and pointing to it and saying, oh, Amy Ryan's coming back, she's coming back. You know, really this article doesn't say anything, though, Kevin. It says they want her to come back. It says that they'd like her to come back. It doesn't say that they've signed her to come back. So I'm not really sure that we should be celebrating this. I, you know, I'm a very big fan of her and her character. I would love it to have her come back, but uh, seems a little premature. Well, I think the thing there is that it's a confirmation from Greg Daniels that they do want her to come back. It'd be one thing if they kind of said, well, you know, she's a big star, we can't get her. But the fact that he's saying we want her, I think, is positive for fans of Holly. But I agree, um, you know, it's, it's not exactly like it's signed, sealed, and delivered or anything like that. And I agree with him, though, that I'd rather her be either off or on and not some sort of once or twice a season thing that I think would work for other characters like a Todd Packer or Karen Farrell Pelly or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would rather have her at all than not have her on the show, I guess. So. Well, speaking of former Karen Farrell Pelly, we have some news of the Office Renewal and the Amy Poehler Show details. Now, this is not a big shock, but NBC has officially announced last week that they are renewing The Office for the 2009-2000 season, along with their Emmy nemesis, 30 Rock. So that's good news for the show. Now, uh, there's some details now about the unnamed Emmy Polar non-spinoff show, and TV Guide has the following details. This is what we know. NBC's new and as yet untitled comedy starring SNL alum Amy Poehler as the chairwoman of a Department of Parks and Recreation in a small Indiana town is not a spinoff of The Office, even though that is what exec producer Greg Daniels really had been asked by the network to explore. 
According to the article, the show will essentially use the same mockumentary format used in the office and will share the same comic sensibility, uh, meaning that Polar's character is a clueless boss with an exasperated staff. Uh, hopefully the two shows will never interact with each other. Said Michael Schur, actually, theoretically, we can't because Rashida Jones is playing a different human being as uh, she's playing the show's Amy Logan. And unless they're identical twins who don't know each other, uh, the other one exists, it wouldn't work. The network might be more disappointed than I am, says Greg Daniels. I've never been a huge fan of these kinds of stunts. The article also confirms that Rashida Jones will reappear on The Office in an episode airing sometime after the February 1st Super Bowl show. Polar's new show is set to debut on April 9th. Now, will there ever be a true spinoff of the show? Greg Daniels had this to say to the folks at Entertainment Weekly. Uh, it's not possible physically for me to be involved in it right this second, but I'm talking to people over at The Office about another idea, and The Office... The Office's British creator Stephen Merchant came back and directed an episode of The Office, so we were talking about the idea. Um, it's possible that some combination of other Office people could produce it without my giving blood for it. So a lot of stuff in there. Actually, it was quite a mouthful, and uh, I think we <laughs> stumbled and bumbled our way through that enough. You know, <laughs> let's talk about this briefly. I I have no problem with this. Originally, when they announced the Amy Poehler show, I was very disturbed and, and bothered by the fact that Greg Daniels and Mike Schur were gone. And yeah, it still kind of annoys me. Um, I'm, I am very glad that it turned out not to be a sequel and no one else is leaving. Uh, this sounds like, you know, it sounds like a show that's pretty much along the same lines as The Office. And, you know, actually, if this would have been set in Scranton, I don't think I would have had that much of a problem with it uh, as long as they really kind of kept separate from each other. So, uh, no Scranton, but we had another small town, uh, another <laughs> another town that will have a, maybe a new claim to fame and conventions and all kinds of other stuff. So, um, what about the other stuff, though? What about this idea that he's still working on another spinoff? What do you think about that? I think it would be interesting. I've still gone on record. I think the Andy Bernard character could be spun off into his own show, potentially, I guess it's not out of the question to have a Jim and Pam, Jim loves Pam type of show, although that really would be heresy. But uh, the general rule, at least he's saying that he's not going to, you know, if it does spin off, it's not going to be from him killing himself, whatever, on this other show. But I guess that doesn't bode well for the spinoff unless, you know, maybe B.J. Novak takes it over or some of the other principles. But, you know, I'm not encouraged by this news, uh, but same point. Uh, it's a far from a done deal, too. Well, Kevin, I've dipped my toe into the pond of filth that is Facebook lately <laughs> and uh, getting myself you know, addicted in there and playing Scrabble and all that kind of junk like everybody else. And uh, we have also recently just set up a new That's What She Said podcast listeners group on Facebook. I know that there was a group previously set up uh, in the past, and it was a student group, and a lot of people weren't really connecting with it. I wasn't really involved with it at all. So we have a new group that started up here. Um, you can join if you would like. Uh, you can search for my name or Kevin's name on Facebook, and you can find the group there. Well, speaking of social networking technology, you can also follow Matt and I on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash summermatt and twitter.com slash Kevin Crossman. Uh, we post all the information, like they're botched recording, so you get the updates right away, and you know that uh, things are delayed sometimes or what we're having for dinner or whatever. Of course, this is a personal account, so uh, if you want to follow us, feel free. 
Yep, exactly. Now, uh, cast appearances. Uh, tonight's show with Jay Leno on Thursday, January 27th. Rain Wilson will be appearing with Paula Abdul and Hoobastang, so it sounds like a triple threat if I've ever heard one. Um, <laughs> also, uh, Last Call with Carson Daly on Thursday the 29th will be playing a rerun of the January 8th episode with Angela Kinsey. And our next new episode of The Office airs on January 22nd at 9 p.m. Prince Family Paper is the name of the episode. Michael and Dwight go undercover to do a bit of industrial espionage on a paper company competitor. Meanwhile, the rest of the office holds a debate to settle that age-old question, is Hillary Swank hot? Yes, that is a question that they've been pondering for decades. Oh, man. i got to say that I am not that huge to be negative on a little blurb like that, but that sounds pretty bad. Um it all it also sounds an awful lot like branch wars with Michael and Dwight going undercover. Um, you know, what is that gonna mean? Are they gonna bust out the mustaches again, Kevin? They've kept them in like a little, you know, freeze dried container or something. <laughs> they'll peel the lid off and the smoke will come out and they'll put their mustaches you know, back on. I wasn't the greatest fan of that episode, but I think it would be kinda of funny if they brought out the mustaches again and be a nice little throwback there. And yes, Hillary Swank is hot, by the way. Oh man, I don't know. It's, I guess it depends on what movie that you're talking about, what uh, what time period. <laughs> there are certain things a boss does not share with his employees: his salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. All right, and this comes from Chris Broussard uh, commenting on That's What She Said, episode number 59. He says, great retro podcast. Honestly, it seems like you guys had way more fun recording this one than, say, any other podcast from season five. That made it fun to listen to. By nature, it's hard to always embrace an episode four days after it's aired and sometimes hard to know how you really feel about it. With Retro, you and your audience have had years to let it burrow into your psyches, and we know all the quotes, etc., Please keep That's What She Said current, but if you can, do retro a little more often, too. Great job on both accounts, guys. Well, I think that's true. I mean, I uh, speaking for Kevin, I think we can both agree that the easiest episodes to do are the ones that we either really love or really hate. Um, the ones that are sort of in between the, the B, C kind of episodes. You know, it's hard to get excited about them, but it's hard to get negative about them really that much either, so kind of middle of the road. But definitely, I mean... We've sort of been cherry-picking, of course, in these retros, a lot of the really best episodes, especially from Season 2. So um, <laughs> we might be out of really great ones, Kevin. I don't know. All right, let's move on to comments about the duel. Mobius wrote, On the whole, I'm entirely nonplussed about this episode. Very few laughs, period. But hopefully its purpose is trying to tie up the Angela plotline so that the show could get back to its usual office antics, which are so much funnier. If this was a serious attempt at humor, well then, I think it's time to call it quits. Uh, I don't think it was a serious attempt. I had somebody post on my Facebook page, actually, that said, yeah, yeah, what happened? I thought this was supposed to be funny. And, yeah, I mean, there weren't huge laughs, but it was it was one of those ones that we like to refer to as a plot mover. And I think that it succeeded at what it was doing. It worked well enough. I mean, it it, it advanced those plots and kind of laid things out for the next part of the season. So, I don't know. I 
still thumbs up for me, I gotta say. All right, Diane had this to say, loved it. Loved seeing a happy Michael, even if it was nonsensical. Loved the resolution. Poor Angela. Left with nothing. Karma is a boomerang. I kept expecting Andy to pick up the phone and call Shrewd Farms to ask for his deposit back and for Dwight to grant it. Now, maybe Diane should get on the writing staff, because I agree, I think that would have been a hilarious scene if, after canceling his cake, he called Dwight at the next desk and Dwight picked up the phone. And they would have had that conversation back and forth between them. I think that would have been a really hilarious little bit. That might have been one of the best scenes ever if they'd done that. I think that that's a great <laughs> suggestion for Diane. Get that resume dusted off and sent in to Universal right away. All right, uh, Rick Duran wrote in, I think that Rain Wilson has a good shot at the Emmy with this episode. Now, Matt, I included this for a couple of reasons. Rick Duran is a buddy from the thefrontpack.com. It's very self-serving. But also, I didn't think that Rain was that great in this episode. What did you think? I it was a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming. Uh, so maybe that <laughs> if that equals, you know, maybe that's what it takes to get those Emmy voters uh, out of their seats. You know, I, I will say one thing about this though, and I don't know if I'm imagining things or if they did this in makeup or if Rain Wilson just hasn't been brushing his teeth lately. But um, there's a lot of close-ups and a lot of a lot of shots of, of Dwight yelling in this episode, and he has some really nasty, yellowy, <laughs> grungy-looking teeth, I have to say. So, eh, maybe he'll win the uh, best makeup effects. <laughs> All right, Karen F. had this to say, Tonight's interactions between Wallace and Michael kind of explain the new cast member they're bringing in. Wallace is talking heads uh, about not knowing how Michael is successful, but not ditching him in these rough times means that he's going to continue to be the good cop, and they've brought in a new Bad Cop season two, uh, season one and two, Jan slash Ryan. So yeah, it's uh, like I said. I'm I'm at first I thought he was going to be the new Jan or something, but I'm leaning no, now more towards the kind of shadower guy that's being assigned to follow him around the office. Maybe it's season one and two Ryan instead of season four Ryan. <laughs> All right, Peach. She writes, no gripes about less content with the other minor characters or even Jim and Pam. It's just that the idea of Michael talking about his corporate success was possible comedy gold only by to be wasted by Michael. It would have been great for him to bumble about a bit and then come up with some statement of, it's the people and the family atmosphere at Scranton. Yes, I agree. We, uh, we all wish we'd seen more of that. We've had that family thing hammered into us. Why couldn't Michael remember when he was put on the spot? Yeah, maybe uh, that would have been a nice little, you know, they could have gone for a heartfelt, touching moment there like they've done sometimes in the past, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, David, it's it's the people, it's the family, it's the relationships. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, they went another direction. Uh, now, this next one, Kevin, I, I, I'm not sure I'm smart enough to understand it, but let's go through and uh, read this blog post from Malcolm. He had this to say, Thinking back on the episode as a whole, I think this actually ranks as alongside the injury as an absolutely classic episode. It stripped down and distilled exactly what made the office so brilliant in the past. That desperate clinging on to survival in those moments where you can barely find a reason to, and how every individual has to find their own road to doing that. But also, somehow to prop each other up. There were no long inner turmoil speeches, it wasn't about reflection or self-indulgence, and people whining to each other. It ran much deeper than that, and felt much more visceral and immediate. The duel, in a way, brought us right back to the start of the show, shrugged off all the baggage of the mythology and the mystery-solving, and reminded us what was so good about The Office in the first place. Heart-racing character drama with tons of laughs. Really brilliant. 
So, like I said, I I think it's a great comment in there, Malcolm. I, I maybe you're a little over my head, but uh, I, I what do you think about that? Is this episode a classic on par with the injury? Well, I'd like to thank Malcolm for saving me from being the person who overanalyzes the show more than anybody. <laughs> and uh, no, clearly this is not anywhere close to a classic like The Injury. Uh, but I uh, appreciate the sentiments there from Malcolm. Well, maybe time will tell, as uh, we mentioned earlier. Maybe it'll take us more than four days for it to sink in, Kevin, and we'll finally <laughs> see the light. Well, that's about going to do it for us this week. Uh, join us in about a week or so for episode 61, Prince Family Paper. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to twsspodcast at gmail.com or visit the show blog page at twsspodcast.com. If you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and help spread the word in the various The Office-related forums. Every little bit helps. Music for this episode is provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember to head on over to nbc.com slash theoffice during the week for additional deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, cast blogs, and more. And, Kevin, before we go uh, talking about nbc.com, uh, did you happen to go over there and play the dual game that they had on the page? I have not seen that. Oh, it's I'll actually, go check it out. It's, it's probably the funniest game I've ever seen that they've done. So I, I, I laughed and had a good old time with it. It's a, a mano a mano fighting game between Dwight and Andy, and you get to pick which person you are. You get to pick what attacks that you use and uh, what defenses that you take. And some really funny sound clips and funny animation bits. So not always generally a fan of what they're doing over there with these kind of goofy flash things, but this one was a winner. So check it out before it's too late, and it might be too late by the time this posts, but uh, go ahead and check it out. All right, well, for Kevin Crossman, I am Matt Summer, and we are out of here. Say right now, if that did not record, I am gonna fucking kill someone. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did such a horse job on the podcast this week. <laughs> As usual. <laughs>